What's up, gamers? Welcome to Battle Mallet Podcast, episode 44, Hexed. Welcome to the Narwood. Welcome to the Narwood, for anyone that couldn't hear my very bad Axel impression. Um, (laughs) For anyone that isn't familiar, the Battle Mallet Podcast is the journey of three, maybe sometimes four busy gamers uh, playing games that they love, balancing life with those games, and the annual journey to the Nova Open Convention. Um, in tonight's episode, today's episode, we are going to talk about the Gnarlwood and how excited we are for it, um, everything that's coming out for it. Um, we'll spend most of our time, or some of our time, giving our impressions on the new season, the new box, uh, the new minis, um, and then we'll take a break and we'll come back and we will talk about... Uh, the major rules changes that are coming out in this, the seventh uh, season of Warhammer Underworlds. But before we get into all of that, my name is Jared Johnson, and tonight I am joined by Trace Hyde. I'm going to get snagged on some roots in this new season. It's going to happen. Well, that's awesome. And Jason Table Newbury. Seven. Seven's the lucky number. Seven is the lucky number. Um, yeah, so uh, here we are. We've got a. Uh, I mean, it, Narwood's up for pre-order. Um, mine's already in uh, with the friendly local game store, so I'm excited for that. I'll be excited to pick it up next week. Um, you know, there's there's always something exciting and fun and fresh. It's like Christmas. It is like, like opening, Christmas. Opening the new box, punching out all the tokens. Assembling the minis, taking the shrink wrap off the cards, putting the cards in sleeves, putting the sleeve cards in binders. It's just like a <laughs> whole what's... ordeal. It's like, it's, it harkens back to, for me, like that brand new Lego set that, like, there is all of the wonder of the box and the shaking <laughs> of the box and all of the individual bags within the box. But then there's also the wonder of, like, reading through the instructions and assembling everything and then creating something like brand new and fun from what was just a box of component parts. So I don't know how you guys are feeling, but like I am friggin' stoked. I always love a new season, right? Like it just kind of, I won't say refreshes the game because the game with the new season coming every six months is always fresh and new, but I'm always uh, keen to get two warbands at a time, see the subtle changes that are going to define the season, um, and just the change of art, right? Yeah. Uh, I am very sad to see the purples and blues go because they were my favorite, but uh, these uh, browns and greens aren't bad. I know. We get some, like, earth tones, natural tones. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that board on the left looks a lot like Attack on Titan. I'm just saying. In the in the uh, in the in, on the box, like there's yeah. one of those boards that's got like mostly pink, and it looks straight out of a anime Attack on Titan. Yeah, like it's like the <laughs> whole board is like deal. bone and muscle. It's pretty wild. It's pretty and... gnarly, if you will. Oh, um, I like it like it no it looks it looks cool i think it's going to be a different uh a different feel because like we went from having 
you know, all the dark, mysterious greens and turquoises of, you know, the Shadespire and Night Vault seasons to, like, shade and shadow of purples and blues in the in the uh, or we did all the uh, the warm tones of the of Gur the first time yeah and then we went to the blues and purples and now we're kind of in the pinks and reds and kind of gray purple colors now on the according to the boards that we have seen yeah so it's it's going to be interesting um it's, it definitely looks cool though yeah I, I like new it. dice yeah, orange yeah. attack dice and dark green yeah. defense dice and magenta mag- magic dice. Uh, I know Jason's sad to see the purple dice disappear. I am, but I mean, let's be fair. I don't use the starter set dice because I like the mm-hmm. Grand Alliance dice. But, I mean, the la- the last two seasons, like this one and the last one, I like the color of the dice. And if I can't find my special magic dice, I'll just roll one of, one of these and they'll do the yeah. trick. Pretty good. And Jared, I do not go through and punch out all my tokens on the day that I get my box. <laughs> like that thing yeah, gets pushed I don't. to the side. Yeah. Like it gets tossed. I'll, I'll, and I'll then I find the, it later. I'll punch out the objective and cover hexes and these new snare cover that hexes. Is, that is correct. Out. I punch out yeah. all the important ones and then I keep all my charge tokens all my stagger tokens all yeah. my other stuff from the <laughs> previous season and then i'm like okay i don't have this specific amount of glory because i've lost them or somebody stole them i need to replenish my glory token total back to what it was yeah uh, that's what those are used for they're reserves it's like the federal reserve of glory tokens yeah there you go it's it's yeah, not I'd... in circulation it's not part of the economy but it's nope. there and it's available <laughs> for when Correct. currency gets damaged or lost or it's emergency so, glory tokens is what I like it is it. I like I don't it. have yeah, I didn't punch I didn't punch out anything until we went to Nova in Harrow Deep like because oh, yeah, cuz I use the acrylic mm-hmm. uh, objective tokens when we would play but for Nova I had to punch out the yep. the cardboard ones um, but, you know, Tracy mentioned it back to Gur. How do we... So this is the first time in the game's life cycle where we've had a setting and typically there's like one season, two season, we go deeper, right? And that's kind mm-hmm. of been the flow. But now we're going back to a setting. How do you feel about going back to Gur? Gur. Um, I mean, it's, pre- it's pretty wild. Um, it's two Get in a row. It. Zing. Um, the, you know, I, I think it's cool to, to, to know that like, it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be a linear thing. Like we can kind of zigzag back and forth as long as the, the story at the beginning kind of tells us why we're going back. I think it's completely fine. Um, you know, uh, from what I've noticed previously, um, it seems like a lot of the, underworld seasons kind of align with things that are going on in the mortal realms just in general so you know we are in gur uh for the for the current season for age of sigmar so it makes sense for those two things to kind of be in the same realm yeah um, yeah the same with Warcry too right so mm-hmm. yep yep i think they they try and keep them all fairly aligned um 
So I, I think that I think it's cool. I think it's going to be interesting to see, um, kind of the, the the reasoning as to why we're going back. So yeah. Yeah, and that leads us to, that is another great segue. So for our listeners, this is the first time ever that we're trying the same day episode. So, you know, as Jared mentioned earlier, like, it is up for pre-order. We don't normally do this. We're normally a day late and a dollar short. Um, um, But we tried to cobble together as much information as we could um, to drop this same day episode. So there are things that we do not have our hands on yet. Um, because we not, are not a preview show, um, but we are going to make the best we can with what we have and and uh, get this out here and get so you can get our hot takes on the updated season. So um, hopefully in the next episode we will be able to have all our all of our questions answered on setting. Yeah. So. Yeah, because I am curious to find out why the heck we're back here. Yeah. Yeah, it's always been kind of cool to read the the different lore bits to figure out, like, what happened, you know, like, when the Shadespire curse bled into Gur the first time in the Beast Grave and all of that stuff, so. Yeah, and, and that leads us to the two warbands. So, you know, as Jared said in the, the intro... We're not going to do our normal Rivals deck um, deep dives into the Warbands on this episode. That'll be coming in our next episode. But we do have plenty of pictures and feelings on these Warbands. And I don't know if I've said it on the show. I know I've said it so many times in the the previous weeks here. Um, These two Warbands just strike a chord with me as it's almost like they're re-imagings of two of my loves from previous uh, seasons. Um, being Sepulchral Guard and Godsworn Hunt. So I will say no ill things about these beautiful models and warbands. So I'd just like to get your you know initial thoughts on just the aesthetic uh, that we're seeing. Um, Trace, like, are, do these Chaos guys and gals live up to the hype that is a Dark Oath style of warband? Uh, yes, but I've, what I appreciate is a lot of like these little subtle, like pop culture references in here too. Um, that's what I found really interesting about these models. I really love them all, but like you have the savage predator dude with like the predator mask and the spear. And then you also have Tim, the enchanter from Monty (laughs) Python and the Holy Grail. (laughs) Like sure. some call me Tim. Like that's all I think of when yeah. I see him. Um, but they're great models. I love them. Uh, they're really really cool. I mean, dude with the big hammer and you know, double axe is totally just typical barbarian, savage, chaos. Yeah, half shaved yeah. head. It's awesome. She's a girl. Got her axes. She's, she's gonna like, mess somebody up. She's like the anti, uh, um, Bridget. Yeah, exactly. Bridget, yeah, yeah. The uh, the one, the one thing on one of the models that I'm not a giant fan of, but 
yeah, yeah, you know, we always find that these are better in person than they are on these images. But is the is the jaw like color piece on the dude with the hammer? Like that's the only one that I'm like, eh, that that kind of gets in yeah. the way of his face and doesn't make a lot of sense. But it may make more sense when I get my hand on the model. But I like them all. Like as as it looks like the the one with the face mask too is actually got some like pillaged elven bits on him too like the the girdle there oh yeah looks very like scavenged and stolen most of these look very scavenged and stolen which is interesting um just different things i mean they're they're totally they totally give the chaos vibe but a different kind of brand of the chaos vibe yeah um but i like them all tim the enchanter is my favorite <laughs> Sarakar Blackwing. Yeah. yeah. And, and Jared, our uh, resident Ozier, Ozier Bone Reaper player, uh, you know, do these skeletons, do you want to collect their bones? Do. I want to collect everybody's <laughs> bones, but all the bones. Give me all the bones. No, like, but I mean, so back in the day when we played Silver Tower, I bought the white king model solely to play that game mm-hmm, and then eventually mm-hmm. like i owned some more death rattle skeletons ages ago but ended up not building that army but i still have that white king model like i love like the skeleton warrior aesthetic that gw has had like for ages like i remember the original like basically naked skeletons that they had like a weapon and a shield and that was it and the rest of them were skeletons and then and their heads were giant yeah their heads were huge but it was awesome because there was one with his like jaw wide open Mm -hmm. and he looked like he was just cackling madly (laughs) at you um but like i mean like these just take everything that i've loved about the skeleton aesthetic that gw has and they've just made it better and like there are all of these subtle like i mean you 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 called out the subtle details on the the gnarl spirit. Like the sons of Belmorn have a ton of like subtle details. Like the the leader Belmorn has his crown and he's got mm-hmm. keys on his belt. Like he is mm-hmm. obviously like the master of a keep or or you know a, a fortress or something. Um, and then the callbacks. Like so you know a couple of the models have the giant bat wings. Oh on yeah. Their helmets and that's like a callback to the old world. You know. Uh, models um i really want to know what the deal is with the huge skeleton why is he so big he's awesome he i think he's uh so like the kursagi night guard from um what you call it from curse city yeah are like zombie ogres okay so maybe he's a so i think what you have here is a big like an ogre skeleton or is he just a big dude grave guard like he, he might just be a big dude he's like on a Amon. 40 he's on a 40 mil base it looks like yeah like aim what from, i can tell amos from witch hunters yeah i mean he could yeah he could just be a big guy uh what i do love about these though is it it gives a preview into the fact that you're probably going to see a new grave guard kit come out that's for, true for the soul blight. Uh, so if they look anything like this, 
there's a lot of uh, Soulbite players out there that'll be very happy. Yeah. AKA, please pre-order these for yourself because all the right. Soulbite players are going to buy all of them and then make them into a unit of Graveguard. So yeah. please, please do yourself a favor. Yeah. Don't don't wait and try and go get it from the store because that's not going to go well. Just pre-order them for yourself. Like, don't try and secondhand market them or whatever because you're not going to find any. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that just you know drives the the point home that these are some of the most beautiful models that we've seen in any starter or season kit. Uh, and the other thing that is very interesting is there's no order in this box. Oh. Right? So we've always had an order faction in every dual box that we've seen. And this is not the case. Death and yeah. chaos have taken over. Wait. It's all at the end. It's all to be left at the end anyway. <laughs> true. Um, These order people trying to control everything. Just let it go. Be like Elsa. All right, and the last tease that I'll give out here before we get into the the meat and potatoes of this episode of going through the changes and the core rules is we are very, very excited here for Nemesis. That's right, Nemesis Rivals Plus has an official designation. Its uh, name is Nemesis Format. Um, uh, So we will not really touch on a lot of Nemesis today. Again, that will be rolled into the Rivals episode that we have where we lay out these warbands. Also go with, kind of give our hot takes on what you should be building with in Nemesis for these two warbands. But the the big, big teaser for us, and we'll mention it in the the post-credits as well, um, we are building a database for decks for Nemesis. So if you're just getting into the game uh, with this season, you know, head on over to one of our many uh, social media platforms, and we should have a very good library for you. And but what I say by good, we have all 44, 46, 46 warbands um, ready to go f- with a starter nemesis deck um, just to get you off the ground. Uh, very, very excited about that, and uh, very excited that we all put in the, the great deal of work to get that done so um look forward to that but with that we'll take a break and we'll come back and talk about the rules changes for gnarlwood all right gentlemen the time has arrived let's go over the season changes for the gnarlwood uh, and there's quite a few subtle changes in this season, uh, more than than I would have thought, um, you know, in previous in previous editions. And I think it really just comes down to I'm getting old. Like I'm I'm having a hard time remembering what was what, when was who, where was what. Um, yeah. But I'd love to get your uh, your take, your hot take, your initial reactions on some of these, uh, and see how what kind of effect they're going to have in all the formats of the game. So we're just going to start off. I'm going to try to go in order, flipping through through the rule book, um, just what one comes up first. So if I do get out of sequence, I'm sorry, too bad, so sad. But that is the intention. Uh, the first one is the beast and large fighter changes. And you're like, what do you mean changes? Well, it appears that when you gain the keyword for beast, now just in the rule book, 
if you gain the keyword, any upgrade that cannot be given to a beast is broken. Break it. And the same thing with large fighters. And this is really the one that I think is going to impact the most is if you give somebody a plus one wound and they become a large fighter, the in there is a condition that does not allow an upgrade to be given to a large fighter. Those upgrades also break. And in previous editions, we were able to get around that rule because you would give it to the fighter before they were large. Yeah. So initial thoughts on upgrades breaking when you gain keywords. I'm shattered. Oh, I mean, I think, you know, just from us simplifying the rules and, and closing up loopholes, I think it makes sense, right? Like, uh, you know, yeah, uh, you have an attack action upgrade and then something makes you a beast. It makes sense that you would continue to hold on to that attack action upgrade. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's a good good change for the game because um, I think it's more in the spirit of how they want those those certain upgrades to work instead of us trying to find ways to jank it because that's just what we do as gamers. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that that's that's smart because traditionally. Especially, you know, the beast, the beast condition, I guess, if you want to call it that, but like the beast keyword um, is still relatively new. But like, and the large fighter is too, but like traditionally large fighters have always been an issue in the game. Um, you know, you, the Voltron hook everything up and go destroy the world type play style that a lot of folks did with those so it's nice to know that there's some kind of securities being put in place that say you know you cannot give this to a large fighter and if you do manage to become a large fighter by adding a wound upgrade or whatever that you can't you know you can't build your behemoth anymore which is good makes things a little bit more balanced (laughs) Yeah, I try, like I personally think that the the large fighter one is where you're going to see it kind of creep up in championship the most cuz isn't like Trigoth's blood is isn't that like one like you can't give this to a fighter if they're four wounds. Uh, I think yeah. it was four yeah. wounds or less. Yeah. So then you could give it to him then add a wound. Right. And now you couldn't. Right. It would break. Totally defeats the purpose of Trogoth's blood. <laughs> well, and also, Jared, you need to just slide a little closer to your mic because all of a sudden you've fallen off real bad. My bad. Is that better? Yeah, it's better. Sorry. I'm taking a nap. Yeah, it sounded like he was like, you know, just 20 miles away. So, you know, chilling. Chilling like a villain. All right, the next one comes down to um, deck building, right? So this is the next, like, subtle change. And I think it has more to just what what has been introduced with the uh, Rivals decks. Um, so everything remains the same. You still have 20 power cards. Um, cannot have more 
uh, half the deck cannot be more gambits than it is upgrades. Objectives are still minimum of 12. Six surges can go up above that. As far as uh, the number of 12, you could have 13, but again, six surges. Um, can't have more of the same cards, Grand Alliance cards. Um, it must have the same warband symbol as what, what Grand Alliance are in, but here is the big one, plot cards. So in the two new Rivals decks, they've introduced these plot cards. And if you include one or more, uh, more, more than one deck that uses plot cards, you must pick what one of those plot cards to use along with your deck. It, this does not include um, things like Kagra's Ravagers that have their own little desecration plot card or things like Primacy when it comes to Headcrackers, but you can only pick one. And, I mean, because they are new, just what are your thoughts on Rivals decks having, like, separate rules, Jared? Like, this, like, whole new world of, like, primacy things everywhere yeah i mean so i think it ends it adds room in the design space for the game where you can introduce like new ways to play the game without having to add a whole new rule book um you know you're not stuck waiting for an faq or for the next season to get new ways to play you simply are waiting for the next rivals deck to drop um or two rivals decks to drop in this case. Um, so, I mean, I like it. And it, you know, it, it kind of is, is one of those where it, it gives room for players to explore other ways to play the game as well. And it makes those new rules way easier to find than burying them in a room <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, I'll agree with that piece. Um, the only thing that just gives me is not as big of a deal. But, like, I just remember when primacy was a big thing. That, like, remembering primacy was fairly tough unless you played Headcracker because it's an integral part of your warband. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I like the fact that they're including those rules. I'll just be interested to see how that plays, like, how in practice how it plays yeah um, yeah i so any concern because here's my one concern right like and this could be we're just looking through it as like this is the first this is the first release from our world these are the first rivals decks that right. have yeah, introduced yeah. this but let's say that we were playing high crackers and we're playing kagger's ravagers right and you select tooth and claw and i select daring devilers now we have four additional rules added to the game Right. So there could be, like, to me, that's a little confusing uh, or a little bit worrisome because I, I, you know, I don't want, I, I don't want every, like, every single thing to have a plot card, right? So I'm, I'm hopeful that this is just, hey, this is new. We're introducing it in the future. Not everything will have a plot card. I think, um, I think the, the space that you'll get, it will be confusing is if, you have somebody who just does not like they have their thing that they want to play. Right. And they only know that piece. Um, even if you have that card to provide to them, that's still things that could t- potentially slow down the game. Cause you're going to have to be like, I gain whatever, whatever condition, whatever token, whatever 
thing that they've got in there. Um, that's now something for that other person to try and their cognitive load is now increased because they're having to think about it too. Whereas like you may know all the different plot cards from the different rivals decks and understand exactly what to do. So that's the only thing that I can think of is just from like a new player perspective. If they only want to play one particular, if they get their rivals deck and then they have their war band, um, or if they're a returning player even, and they don't really want to get anything else outside of one of those rivals decks. Um, these both being in the core box, like players should know <laughs> what they, yeah. but what both do, but I'm just speaking long-term really. And that's not really a negative. Like I love the fact that they have, like you just said, Jared, that they have ways to increase design space. Um, but I also try and look out for the, for the new player too, and just hope that that doesn't confuse them. Yeah. I, I think you're really close to home there, Trace. I do think that by adding the plot cards, because there's been that, that conversation amongst the championship players that, you know, is Nemesis going to be deep enough to, like, have everyone want to play Nemesis, right? Of mm-hmm. course, you're always going to have your preferred way, whether that's Rivals, whether that's Championship, whether that's Nemesis. But for me... For me personally, not thinking like, hey, you know, if we add 20,000 plot cards, it could be a little confusing. But I do think that it adds a layer of design and a layer to the game where if I want to be better than someone else, if I know what all those plot cards are, I will know how to an attack a warband that yeah. sits down with these plot cards. So, right. So it's yeah. a cool, cool little, cool little thing there. Um, the next change, and this one for me is maybe the biggest change in the game. Uh, it took me two whole seasons or a whole year to remember how to play feature tokens as it is. Um, but now we go into Narlwood. We still have seven feature tokens, but we're only placing five. And it's back to kind of the old way where you're placing the objective feature tokens. So these will be objective feature tokens that have a cover hex on one side and an objective on the other. You're placing five cover side up and you do not get to look at them. And then when the game starts, you flip them over and they start with objective side up. We're kind of back to the way it was, although cover is still newer than what we had before. Um, yeah. This could be a big, big change. So, Trace, what do what are your thoughts? You're like, oh, this is the way I used to play before. Not a big deal. (laughs) This is new. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, no, like I, I agree. It's it's interesting that they've gone from you place your five object, you place your tokens, you flip them over first thing, and then they went to we're going to place these tokens, but they're going or we're going to place five objectives and then you're going to have these two extra things that are lethal hexes and you put those somewhere and you can plan out how you're going to push somebody into them and then we went into the harrow deep nether maze stuff where they start flipped over but you can look at them yeah um so i just find it interesting that they're going kind of full circle back to just being like place these you don't know what they are yet and then flip them back, you know, flip them before the battle starts. I do. Um, I mean, I like it. It's 
it's simpler than having to remember where your cover hex is that you placed as a part of, as a cover hex and then put a fighter on it and be like, that gummit when you try and like <laughs> flip it over or whatever. And it's still the same thing. So, um, no, I, I appreciate that. I think it's going to be, I think it is good for the game from a ease of use perspective. You put them down, you flip them over. Done. Um, and then the other two tokens you place during the game, I would imagine. Like, there's probably things that can allow you to put them down. Yeah, there. so so <clears throat> we'll get to those in a second, because those are, like, snare hexes, uh, yeah. which is a new element. But, Jared, so playing championship in the state that it was in this last season, now with gloom or cover not starting up, like, what do you, I mean, do you, how do you think this is going to shake up the meta? Because you still have Sudden Revelation and, you know, Ever Downwards and those cards are still out there. Yeah. No, I mean, so I don't think it changes those. I think what it changes is it makes uh, anybody that wants objectives significantly more viable. Like, Kagra loves this. I was going to say, Kagra's Ravagers, I think, are a big fan of this change. I think that mm-hmm. Starblood Stalkers are a big fan of this change. Um, Any of your objective holding war bands are big. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, but I think it does. I think it speeds up the beginning of the game because there's no mm-hmm. like. Like, let me look at these numbers and now I have to figure out, like, based on. You know, what might be in my deck, because, right, you haven't drawn any cards yet at this point. Like, do, are the numbers important to me? Do I need to place them? Do I not? Like, does it matter where I place them? Now you just doesn't like good luck um and 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 now we're not sitting here trying to figure out well do i want to place this lethal hex or cover hex do i not um doesn't matter you you don't get to so yeah lady harrow now has a little bit more chatter in her teeth right trying to figure out exactly where she's gonna go true she knows where they're back so what you're saying is that hold objective two now comes back into my championship format deck I think so. It's always going to be there for you. You'll <laughs> always try and do it if you can. Hold your hold too. And well, I do. You know, like the the days of claim the city and infestation, I think have now now ended. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, sad. But it's it's good for the game, right? But delve is not gone. So delve no. is still there. So you have your five objective tokens that have been put down on the board. We still have two that have not been placed that are snare tokens but just to clarify because delve gets a huge change as well so you're like okay great they start as objective tokens i'm just going to push on and i'm playing Shadeborn, and i'm just going to flip them all anyway to to uh cover i'm going to get my bonus for defense but oh wait there's more so when you delve in place of Playing a power card, a player can instead delve by flipping one feature token if a friendly fighter is not staggered, is on the feature token. When they do so, they stagger that fighter. And you, once again, can only delve it once per turn. So, holy cow, when you flip tokens now, instead of just getting this bonus of whether it's an objective or getting the bonuses going back into cover and getting the double, double dodge as a success on your defense rolls, you get a stagger token. That has to be big, Jared. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's makes you significantly more vulnerable to enemy attacks. 
Aggro and on this. top of that, if you're already staggered, you can't delve again. So there's no like flipping it in your power step and then flipping it in your opponent's power step. Unless you have a way to remove stagger in between. Yeah, so it also increases the cards that say give this fighter a guard token to remove the stagger, right? Like right. it yeah. increases the power there. Um, Trace, you mentioned aggro, like stagger everywhere means aggro is better, right? Yeah, I mean, like you think about it this way if you have a way, Hrothgorn, for example, right? So Rothgorn has ways to flip tokens and not be on those tokens. So if somebody comes to try and score an objective that you think that they may want to try and be on, they flip it, they're staggered, you kill them. Like I don't well, I don't know if it'll I don't know if flipping itself will because you're flipping to a cover, it has to be specifically delved. Correct. I'm saying that that Hrothgorn has cards that allow him to flip cards that are adjacent to him. So I'm talking about setting up somebody who wants to be on that objective to come get on it, to flip it. And if they flip it, they're going to be like, okay, like I'm going to have to take the stagger token and then you use that to your advantage. Oh, so I'm okay. saying. yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So the, your opponent is still making the decision to delve and flip it because they want it the other side of whatever that you did it. Got it. Right. Yes. I think it's just really cool. Like, I mean, it's still, it's still not going to take away the power of anybody that's playing end phase. Cause no, you can flip uh-huh. them in the last phase. This tagger token will go away at the end of the turn. So you're still going to have all these end phase scores, whether they're holding feature, holding gloom, holding lethal, mm-hmm. like those are all still fine. Um, but I do think that you definitely have to think about diving into the darkness. Um, and then, so I've alluded to it a few times, and again, the seven feature tokens that you start the game off with, there's two other feature tokens that are not placed, and they're put in a valuable feature token pile. Um, these are snare tokens, hexes, uh, and cover hexes. Uh, so what is snare? Snare is, think of it as a lethal or a cover hex, but when you move or pushed into it, you gain a staggered counter. Um, and I like I like to think of it as like the gnarlwood coming to life and snaring you with one of its you know feet of a tree, a root, yep. Yep. a vine, a something or other. Um, but it's very interesting they don't start the game on the board, right? Agreed. They're just there. Yeah. For whatever it's reason. It's got to be. I would imagine. I would imagine that some of the hexes on the board are snare hexes too. Yeah. Like the actual board itself. You'll yes. have snare snare hexes on the board. Um, yeah. And then you mm-hmm. can place these additional ones. So um I like the lore aspect of this. You know, the the dire chasm beast grave stuff with the lethal hexes that felt very themey. The shadow hexes were very, you know, the cover hexes were very themey for the last season. Coming back to Gur, this feels again more in the vein of bestial, like you're you're being trapped by the gnarl wood, or you're being trapped by your opponent. Yeah. Um, so I think it's cool. I like it. Yeah. Currently, in this 
the only way that I could see there are three cards in Daring Delvers that allow you to kind of like place an available feature token. So they will see some play. Um, and I would assume that there may be more cards to come or war bands to come that place available feature tokens. So maybe they'll play a big impact here in, in the season. But it through through this part of the rule book, stagger is a real thing. Like we saw a little bit of it, bit of it with certain war bands in previous seasons. What I mean to me, we had a very defensive season that we're leaving, right? Between gloom and upgrades and a lot of things that I should say cover and upgrades, a lot of things that seem to be going on. It was very defensive. Um, so we now we have a lot of stagger. Are we opposed to the rerolls? No. Okay. I love rerolls. <laughs> I'm doing the best radio and shaking my head no. It's, the, there you it's go. arena combat, not arena solitaire little more aggro well good here's another change that might make things a little more aggro and this one i kind of like scratched my head like what are the benefits of changing this rule something that's been the way it's been since we started the game um and that's the move action so the move action was always you could not make a move action if you had a move token Yep. Now it says a fighter with one or more move tokens kind of make a charge action. So you can still make another move token or an you know attack like you've always had when you had a move token. But this update means that you can move your fighters multiple times throughout the game. They will not be able to do the super action of make a charge, but just move. Jared, that that's crazy. I mean, no, I mean, I like it. I do. Um, and the handful of times that I have ever played an objective-based warband, nothing was worse than being forced to go first and make a move action and then get knocked off your objective. And then now you have to rely on pushes or some other tech to get that fighter back onto an objective. And now you're not stuck. That fighter is not stuck in that position anymore. Obviously, they can't charge. You can't move after you've charged. Um, but, you know, be able to move twice to get back into position, you know, after another fighter comes in and takes out somebody or something is it's pretty significant. I like it, though. I think it adds, you know, some more dynamism to the game. Yeah, great point on my favorite play style where I you move... I force you to move and then I push you off where you want to be. Right. And then you're just stuck there. So not only have they taken distraction away from me. Now I get this. Now you get this. <laughs> Jason's so not playing the game. The, the big takeaway, if, if, if this works the way that we're talking, Right. This diminishes the value of pushes a lot. A lot. Like, we talk about pushes being the end-all, be-all. And, like, positioning is still going to be important. But it's a lot... It, it takes the major blow to a lot of those cards that are pushes that we've always really liked and gravi- gravitated to. Um, in my opinion. 
I don't know if you guys agree with it or not, but I think it does diminish it quite a bit. I still think that pushes are still going to be huge. I still think that they're extremely powerful because you, you know, with a move token, you still can't charge, right? So you're still right. You're now, it is still now multiple activations to make an attack that you want to attack Mm -hmm. attack. But what I really like that it does is what Jared has kind of alluded to, or even with the pushes being a little diminished, right? Is it, Positional play, this game has always been extremely unforgiving when it came to positional play. And right. this this allows you to make a mistake or have something done to you and be able to correct it in a very small way. It's not going to be overpowered where, holy mm-hmm. cow, I spent a card to push you off an objective. Now you're going to move back onto the objective and attack me? No. Like, I can push you off the objective. I can then move myself onto the objective and then you could spend another one to move back and attack me or whatever, or attack me and and do those things. So it's still all the nuances there. It just doesn't allow me to give you the field bads if you're maybe not the best positional player. Yeah, I mean, it takes some of the negative player experience out of it. If somebody's new and they're like, I'm going to do this thing. Like, I'm just going to move. You can't do anything about it. And then you get pushed off and then you feel bad. So... It's a whole lot of moving and moving. Kind of sounds like Molog. Well, here, let me throw this one at you, too, and we'll skip ahead a little bit from from the rulebook just because I think it's relevant because there's a little subtle change to charge actions, too. And it reads, a fighter with one or more charge tokens cannot be activated, right? Hmm. Yeah, it's been that way since the sun came up, right? Right. Unless each surviving friendly fighter has one or more charge tokens. Again, you cannot you cannot move and you cannot do a super action if you have a charge token, so you can't molog it up. But if I'm playing an elite warband and the all three of them have charge tokens, I can now at least make some actions. Yep. Yep. You can still activate. What? Everyone's Rip. moving and everyone's still activating. This is crazy. Ripa loves this. <laughs> Ripple know, loves like, this. Stormsire loves this. Are there now situations when you're playing a three fighter warband where your first activation isn't to just draw a power card? Maybe. I, I'm thinking of like the implica- implications of like on fighter actions. And oh, I know yeah. like like the warden is probably never gonna have every fighter that is charged. But right. like if you get a warband like that that has an on fighter action, and now I can, you know do the warden's warden's action because I are everyone else is charged. It is, that is actually really cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Or like on, uh, like upgrade actions or something. Draw them. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It also increases the, the range, right? So anybody that has a range attack. Yep. They this can is go and turret. Right, so to Trace's point, Ripa, like rip, Ripa, 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 Storm Sire, and then uh, shoot him up. Yothari. Storm Sire. Wait, who? Who? Yothar? What? Nobody. <laughs> I'm just making up fighters now. Yeah, I'll be curious to see you know the community's take on this. The the fact that that if every if every surviving friendly fighter has one or more charge tokens, you can 
activate somebody that has a charge token. And on top of it, there are ways to make double moves now. Those are two huge updates. Zarbag's gets are going to be nuts. Move, 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 move. Well, I think Scurry specifically says without a move token, right? Does it? I don't know. I actually haven't looked it up in a long time. I know, because, like, why would you ever... Why would that matter if... Hold on. I'll look at that. Have it. After a friendly fighter, other than this wing makes a move action, if if the move began adjacent to this fighter, make a move action. Yeah, doesn't they, say anything. They, oh, no, they cannot do this. If this they if they have, have any move, move or charge tokens. Yeah. Woo, all right, good. Look, That's good. That was, free, that was the, 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 the trace brain went, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a combo. <laughs> a wombo combo. I'm glad that we found that. So you can't do that. Good. Don't do that. Very cool. All right. And then going back, there was a subtle change on trap. And I feel like I don't I, I just feel like we talk about trapped fighters quite often. I think there was another change at one time, at least if my memory is serving me correctly. But trap seems to get a little bit of a, a change now um, where it moves up in kind of the when do you chat check if a fighter is trapped and the influence of trapped is no longer the attack. So let me back up for listeners trapped is if I roll the same amount of successes as you roll in your defense roll from an attack roll to a defense roll, a fighter could be driven back, right? If a fighter cannot be driven back and that happened where we equaled our defense roll and attack roll, the fighter was considered to be trapped. Therefore the success, the, the attack was successful. Now when you're, um, checking to see if a fighter is trapped and you cannot be, and they can't be driven back, you include a success. You add a success to your role. So didn't, didn't previously, it, yeah, go ahead, Jared. I'm sorry. I was going to say, so like the, the order has changed a little bit here. So mm-hmm. in nether maze, there's the determined success step, and then there's the chart, right. the comparison chart for success. Miss, and then after the comparison chart, you have is the target trapped? No, draw, attack, action fails. Yes, hit, attack, action succeeds. Now, the trap check comes before you start counting successes and failures. And so functionally, it is no different for the majority of cases. But one well, case comes to mind immediately for me, and that's woodcutter strength. So now oh, not only nice. do you have a not now do you not only have an attack attack that would fail that has now succeeded, but if something is counting successes for whatever reason, like it gets that benefit. But whether the attack succeeds or not is still the same. Still the same. So pre so current state, right? right. Um, if you charged, I'm thinking about Ripa because I played a fair amount of Ripa. Yes. If you charge with Ripa yep. and you're trying to score leading the charge, from my understanding, previously 
you would not score leading the charge because you did not make a successful act attack action because of the trapped thing. Now you add that additional success so that attack is successful, correct? No, I think I think even in the even in the Nether Maze rules, the trapping changes the attack to a successful attack. We think or we know. Not like I know. Like I'm looking at the Nether Maze rulebook okay. right now and it says, Is the target trapped? Yes. Hit attack action succeeds. Okay. So that may be your rustiness. It's probably true. And I don't have like the Dire Chasm rulebook in front of me or the Beast Grave rulebook in front of me. So that like that may have been different. Whatever. Yeah. I do think previously if you were trapped, it wasn't considered a successful attack because it had to deal damage to be a successful Correct. attack. Well, but it had it to does, pass all those previous checks to deal damage it, to be a successful do, attack. But if it if the target is trapped and there's a tie then it still does deal damage, still successful. I, I th- but I, what I'm saying is like, and it may just be that I played it wrong for an entire season <laughs> and nobody ever fixed it, but I was always under the impression that if it did not, if I, did, if I rolled the same number of defense dice as you did, even if you were trapped, it was not to considered a successful attack action. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. In Nether Maze, trapped, a tie into a trapped fighter equals a successful attack action. Okay. But functionally, that's still the same now. It just, yes. Now, now you get to add additional successes. Yeah. Yeah, before it just, it just changed it into a success. This is if the fighter cannot be driven back, they're trapped. So you add a success. The, you know, the other thing is there, you still had to hit. So, like, if you ro- roll into somebody and you roll no successes on your attack action, you roll right. no successes on your defense action, we're tied, this does not kick in. Because you right. at least have to roll one success. Right. Yeah, and that's the same as it was in Nether Maze. Yeah, so. Subtle change in the step, um, but functionally, I don't think it's going to change anything. No, I don't think so. And then here's a an ad that we'll have to see how this plays out and how much it is used. So there is now a plunder reaction that is just a universal reaction that anyone can take. It says use this during a friendly fighter's attack action that takes a target out of action. Out of after the out of action check, place one available feature token in the hex the target w- was in with the objective token face up. So we don't get to place the snare tokens, but if for some reason Rothgorn decided to burn an objective, now I now have a way of bringing it back is take a nobbler out and I can put the objective face side up on that that space, which is is pretty cool because we you know we have seen one of the new war bands that's able to eliminate objectives off the board. Um, I mean, you guys think this is going to be played a lot or is this just an addition just a what if i think i think it'll be one of the cases where it's going to matter if you're playing an objective-based warband or an objective-based deck where you want those objective tokens um because you know it can be pretty painful to try to score supremacy if there are only two objective tokens on the table or the equivalent right yeah um and so the ability to 
to have a reaction in the rulebook to bring objective tokens back, even if it is edge case, is better than not having the option in the rulebook at all. Even though, even if it's not likely to happen often, still better than like relying on stacking bring objective token back cards into your deck in order to be sure that you're going to be able to play objective-based objectives against like the Gnarl Spirit Pack or any other Warband or Rivals deck that can blow up a lot of objectives. From my perspective, I think this makes a big deal. This is a big, big deal for those Warbands who kind of play mid, mid-range, mid right? Where they're doing a little bit of objective hold, but they still want to kill people. Because this gives more positional flexibility for you to do that. Um, if you have a way of getting them future tokens off the board, because it breaks the rule of being they don't have to, there's no rules of placing it, right? It could be within one. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, that is very true. I, uh, that would be really cool if there was cards to really exploit that to like get them all together i i want to take them all well not even like getting them all together just like giving you another access point deeper in somebody's territory to be standing on a feature token or an objective token and killing something is kind of where my brain's at right so like i know that drums deck has something about holding an objective or hold being on a feature token and like one hex away from no man's land or whatever. But if there's not one there, that one's been removed or whatever. I just think that I think it's, I think this interesting play beyond just objective play is what I'm saying. Um, like just straight objectives war bands. Yeah. Um, Again, Kagra loves this, right? Well, <laughs> so here's something fun. Let's say Kagra has a way to get, tokens off Mm -hmm. if she kills somebody on an objective because there's no wording in here it says place one available feature token in the hex that the target was in with the objective token face up does not say cannot contain so i don't know if if and maybe we've missed something in the regular rules when it says placing feature tokens but actually that's probably the case let's see well this is after it says yeah, I know, but yeah. So unless after the out of action check, yeah. But I'm so, saying that the fighter that you just attacked is on a an objective token. Mm-mm. No, because the, the the objective token would come. The back objective after, token is placed after. Action. Are you talking about while they're on the objective itself? Okay. Use this during your friendly fighter's attack action that takes the target out of action after the out of action check. Right. The target was on an objective token that was already on the table. Right. Yeah. There is an available objective token not on the table. So I just took a, f- a fighter out of action. There's an available objective token. So Am I going to be able to put this two? on? So now you can have one. You could then put a desecration token so in that that's hex a, that's and that desecration I, think, token, I don't think you can put i don't think you can put a feature token on top of a feature token no no i know well i have to dig into the rules but i don't i don't think you can do that i love your brain <laughs> i see where you're going 
I don't think that that's going to be allowed. <laughs> I don't think, I think that it, when you place, I think that's in place one available feature tokens. So wherever it's got the available feature tokens at place feature tokens. Yeah. But I mean, that's like, that's just the rules for placing a token at the beginning of the game. Yes. Sometimes a feature token is moved or placed during the game. It cannot be moved into or placed in a blocked hex, a hex that contains another feature oh, okay. token, right. a lethal yeah, hex, or a cover dang hex. It. Dang it. Yeah. Get out of here with your jank. Sometimes. Some, that's sometimes rule. Dang it. It's, it was buried <laughs> in there. Man, I was really hopeful that something really funny was going to be able to happen thanks to Blunder, which is super edge case, I, I feel like, anyway, but... Darn I it. just, I mean, <clears throat> what I was I saying mean, is like, I just think it, it makes, it yeah, I just, I think that it, it presents a lot of really interesting interactions is what I'm saying. The plunder rule itself. Yeah, um, I would, I would agree with that. Beyond just hold war bands, like just beyond like the, um, you know, flesh eater court war bands and undead war bands that like to hold objectives only like. I think that, you know, some of those mid-rangey ones Flex. are going to be really interested in this. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Great point. And I, I, again, like, I'm starting to see a theme through these subtle changes, whether it's clarifying trap or the move, like being able to move twice or to activate if everyone has a charge token. And now with plunder, it's almost trying to get that that bad player experience like to give you tools to get it out of the game not that they're very strong not that they're always going to come up but it just for the the newer players it seems like a kind of get this out of that negative action out i think it's just going to create more competitive games is what i think yeah. like it's going to give it's going to give a player who has a string of bad luck for a couple rolls an opportunity to be like I can still claw out of this, right? Mm -hmm. um, whereas, like, previously, once you got to a certain point, like, you knew the game was over, you just finished the game, even yeah. though you knew it was out of hand and there was nothing you could really do about it. These these rules are insulation for bad luck. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I definitely can see that. I'm just, like, just to continue with the point, right, is... The move action. Oh, I got pushed. That's I like not it. where I want to be. I can yep. move again. The charge. Oh my goodness, I'm playing a three-fighter warband. I'm down to one fighter. I make one activation where I have to charge, and then I sit three activations doing nothing. At least now I can do something. something Go on right? guard. You know, makes yeah. it harder to kill or something. And then, and now, oh, I'm playing a hold objective warband or a flex warband where I need some objectives someone's playing a let's blow these objectives up don't know who would ever do something like that but now i have a way of like digging out of that hole so i i, I like these these things but here this is the this is my favorite this one is for me thank you for putting this in the rule book grievous grievous now has you know has a number next to it all the things that we love about grievous but it's back to stacking so yes. if you have an action has two or more rules give it grievous add the numbers together for a combined total 
And that was always my favorite. Give me that Grievous. Give it all to me. Thank you. I'm not even going to ask for your opinions because this is just the way it always should have been. Grievous everywhere. Fighter's ferocity plus Grievous. I love it. I love it so much. Love it. It's good. I always like more damage in the game. <laughs> um, and that leads us to our last and probably most important two changes. And they have to do kind of with the power step slash reactions. So power step after a player's activation step, it is time for the player's power step. Starting with the player whose power step it is. You play your power cards. Wow. So we're back at it now. Yep. Spider-Man meme. <laughs> when did that change? I Last season. Was a lot. Well, Harrow deep. Harrow Harrow deep. deep. Yeah. Oh. So we're back to back. Shadespire, Night Vault, Dark Asm, Beast Grave. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. No more cheeky. Wait, always should have been. Yeah, no more. I get to spend my glory before you get to try to steal it. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, do we were all excited. I was excited about the change previously because of the you had no rebuttal. So if someone came in, they charge, they hit you, and they had twist a knife to really harken way back in the day where it's plus well, one a, damage, right? Well, hold on. You're on reaction. That's a reaction. Phase. That's a reaction, but you're talking about like ready for action. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Ready for action. Well, I'm just, still a reaction. I'm just foreshadowing to the next change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but yes. like, the, yeah, but the cards like that are, they don't really exist anymore. Correct. Right. Like where you, the first power card suddenly, now uh, you've completely changed the game state. But there are cards in the game now. That say deal one damage to an adjacent fighter. Not as a reaction, as a power step. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. So it it gives you the opportunity to, to do the thing that you want to do to kill that fighter. Yeah. Without any like chance of reprisal beforehand. <laughs> For us, Unless it's, it's going back to the old way. Is it more intuitive that if it's my turn, I just go first? Yes. Yes. It is. 100%. Because I can't tell you how many times, like, in the games that we've played in Harrowdeep and the three or four that I've played in Nether Maze, where I'll finish my action and then I idle because I'm waiting or I'll say, it's your power step. Whereas if I just say in my power step, like I know when I'm done so I can finish my action, I engage the power step. And then I say, do you have a power step? Do you have an yeah. action you want to take in your power step? <clears throat> it flows better than the other okay. way. So if that flows better than this, my foreshadowing, the changes to reaction. So in some situations, there are more than one reaction that could be made in a reaction step. Most often it's after an action or activation. However, each player can only play one reaction in each reaction step. But here's the change, or at least me reading through the rule book. Maybe it's always been there, but this is what I've noticed is the change. 
If more than one player wants to play a reaction in the same step, they take it in turn, starting with the player whose turn it is, and then that's a reaction chain. So again, we've, as far as I recall, it's always been the other player gets to react first. Now it is you react first, but the other player can still react. Yes, that's that's and that's a big deal. So now it's my reaction first. Yes, it is. You still get to react. So I'm not blocking your reaction anymore. There is no more reaction blocking. But the reaction power is in the hands of the current player, not the other player. I like it. If I know that this is not probably going to be a thing at some point, but imagine just how gross it is to go in and attack and then have duelist speed on with this. No, that's true. <laughs> like, just boop. I don't care if you have a reaction. I'm out of your range now. If you're going to try and reprisal me. Yep. Most of the attack back reactions are during, during. the attack, though. Yeah. So it'll prevent that, but... Yeah, it does mean... I mean, just think about, like, if you charged Ripa. Or Ripa charged. Like... Yeah. He's already got an... They've already got a reaction on their card. So that allows them to actually do that. Yeah, before you can bounce away. Without any... I can't Risk. remember. There was one big one with Rock, like a card that Rockthorn had or something with his reaction blocked their reaction and to admit, like you basically never got the wolf fight or something. I don't remember what. Mm. What it was wasn't important. What is important is that Ripa gets to do his bite before you get to do re- your reaction, but you That's also correct. still get to do your reaction. Right. As long as it's within rage. As long as whatever you're doing, the conditions are still met in the chain because it's still in the order. So it can, you know, range and all that stuff have to be checked. Yeah, I'll have to read like more on this because, like, just having that conversation on it is because I know that reactions like basically stop time in the the events, right? So if both players want to play at that time, like is like is it just frozen? Do you resolve it all the way through, or is it like frozen? We're going to do them both, and they resolve together. I feel right? like it would you would resolve one and then resolve the other, but it's I a stack. It. Yeah, it's like a deck of yeah. cards. You reveal them one at they a time. They take it in turn. Right. So you play your reaction. You do your entire reaction, and then gets to do their reaction. One thing has to resolve all the way through before the next thing can go. That is true the way the game used to be. Well, that's... It's true now. Yeah. they If more than one player wants to play a reaction in the same step, they take it in turn, Yeah. starting with the player whose turn it is. So you play your reaction, and then your opponent plays their reaction. You resolve your reaction, and then the other Mm -hmm. player resolves their reaction. Yep. 
Because, like, I, I just don't think uh, there's no clean way to be like everything's frozen, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody gets to do their reaction. But if my reaction pushes me out of your range to do your react to my, I've already attacked you, I you attack me. Like, what good is mine? Yours gets, gets to do your thing. Because if I die, you know what I'm saying? Like, hmm? yeah. Does, 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 I see what you're saying, but logically you can't do it that way based off of what they've got here. Because yeah, they you can only you start your- with one person to do their reaction first, whoever's turn it is. That has to completely resolve it's still in that frozen time window, but yeah. even but even in that window, there's still an order to things. And yeah. so, yeah. The board state can change within a reaction window. Correct. The board game, the board state is not frozen at the beginning of that reaction window for both players. So, it just, all it does is it opens up it just means that two reactions can be played during that reaction window, but whoever is second still has to check the board state at the time when they're able to play a reaction at all to see if that reaction is valid. Yeah. Yeah, and he and they, um, they explain it very well in reaction chains. So, um, like, this is covered in detail. Right, like one, so you add them all together, basically, is what's mm-hmm. going to happen. Is like, you know, we'll just pick after an activation as the trigger. You'll resolve one. Um, then I resolve my, like, I then I add my card I, or whatever. I play my reaction. Um, you know, once each player has added the reaction to the chain, the chain is resolved in the order in which they was built. The second reaction in the chain can only be resolved if the state of play still allows it. A fighter taken out of action or pushed out of range can't make a reaction, attack action, for example. So right. yeah. it's definitely there. Um, and it, if it is a gambit reaction, they are discarded, so you're going to lose it. Um. And if you if an upgrade would have been broken because of the reaction, it is still broken. So there is a cost to say I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z. Right. Hope your attack fails. I am following. Just had to go through and read it all because when you were talking, I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Like I can but we can both react, but you are right. If I'm pushed away, how am I gonna make my reaction? That's not right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So because there's the, even though duelist speed is not going to be a thing forever, um, there are other things that allow you to make those kind of pushes and adjust the board state during that reaction window. Still well, dual speed may be forever. Isn't dual speed in an essentials card? It is. It is. I'm just yeah, saying. So it could be. It could be forever. At this point, it has been forever. I think that card's been in the game. For a very, very long time. So, all I mean is like down the road, like they might be like, this is a new essentials pack that replaces the old one. Who knows? Yeah. They do things like that because they want to make money. 
That's fair. Really? No way. They want to make money at this game? That is crazy Yeah, business talk. wants to make money. Yeah. I don't know. Let's just end. So that's what I have. Like, going through the rule book, that is... um. I mean, I think we ended on the biggest one with the reactions, starting yeah. with the, the person that turn it is. Um, you know, again, a, co- a couple subtle changes, a couple changes that I really, really like. I think that'll help with the, the health of the game. Um, but the reaction one is definitely going to take, I'm going to like mess that up so much for like <laughs> just years to come. <laughs> like, yeah. I'll be like, but it's my react. No, it's my reaction. <laughs> and we'll see Ripper everywhere. Right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it definitely takes some of those war bands that have those on card reactions and amps them to another level. Not really doesn't amp them, but like they get to do the things that they're meant to do. Like I'm thinking, um, Zandir too. Like all their on card reaction stuff to all the things that they can do. They get to do that without having to worry about those getting interrupted. Yeah. Getting blocked. And that's, that's a great point. Like this does stop the blocking, but then again, there wasn't a whole lot of blocking to be, to be had, right? Like there were a few cards that would block each other. And they were very powerful when they did that. But for the most part, we always got to do what we wanted to do anyway. But those times it did happen, it feels real bad. (laughs) So. Well, awesome. Any other comments on the rules changes? I don't think so. I'm excited about it. It'll be like playing a new game. It'll be like playing changes. Be like playing an old game. Yeah. Well, that's it for for Narwood update. We'll take a break and come right back. And we're back, and that will wrap up uh, this the forty fourth episode of the Battle Mallet Podcast. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to listen, uh, and we also appreciate any feedback that you have. We are on all of the social channels, uh, the popular ones anyway. I don't think we're on TikTok. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but who knows? Maybe one day. Uh, we are Battle Mallet Podcast on Facebook, Battle Mallet One on Twitter, Battle Mallet Pcast on Instagram, um, and then. You're listening to us on something, but if you have a preferred podcasting platform that you are not currently using, we are probably on it. So we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, iHeartRadio, I think, um, and any of the major podcasting apps should be able to find us. Um, So please tell your friends, tell your family. We love listens. We love listeners. uh, We love feedback. So uh, we have a Discord. The link to the Discord is in the show notes and on our website. Um, There will not be a blog for this episode, um, but you can read our other blog articles at blog.battle-mallet.com. I think that's all the needful. One thing that we didn't cover in the opening that I think is pretty important um, is they have kind of changed tack in the way that they are marketing Warhammer Underworlds. Um, So when we first started playing, it was the ultimate competitive miniatures game. And I think that it, when it started pre-COVID, I think that it had the potential to be that. I think that it's a tightly written rule set. I think that it's regularly updated. Um, 
think that it's fairly well balanced between factions. Um, but COVID being COVID meant that a game that was really starting to get its legs but didn't quite have them yet kind of lost it. And so um, they have changed it. And the, the tagline is now the ultimate competitive board game. And I was wondering what people thought about that. I, I like it. It is a board game. It was a board game before. Yeah. I think, I, I think it's more true to what it is. Like, it's definitely, I mean, this from my perspective, right? It's always played like a board game. Um, it, with with cards and stuff like that. So, um, I think it's more on brand for what it is, and it also targets a different community a little bit better that may be looking for the board game market, but maybe our ex um, tabletop miniatures gamers that played in tournaments and all this other stuff, and they may want to. I don't know. It may appeal to them more. I don't know. I think it's interesting though. Jason, what were you going to say? Yeah, I just think it it really dials in to what the updates to this game have become, have become right? Like the Rivals mm-hmm. format, open shuffle play. When mm-hmm. you think of a board game, you think of like, we're going to open this box, we're going to sit down with X amount of people, and we're going to play this board game with a little bit of, you know, going through some rules. And that's really where the where the game is transitioning to, from a marketing standpoint, from a release standpoint, from a format standpoint, it, it is more board game with really wicked GW miniatures. Yeah. So I'm all for it. Whatever grows the player base. I don't think anyone that is really listening to us would be shocked that I'm all about rivals and now nemesis. Like it's the, it is the best of both worlds for a game that I've been playing for many, many years. So I like the shift in marketing. Yeah, and and it may be a better audience to try and grab. I don't know at this point how many like hardcore competitive Age of Sigmar or hardcore competitive 40k or hardcore competitive Legion or MCP players you're going to be able to pull into making Underworlds their primary game. I think it just allows them it allows players be competitive in this game without having to own everything. Yes. Yeah. And that's and that's the big thing for somebody like me who's interested in some of those larger games still and want to play wants to play those competitively. I can still I can have my warband that I really like to play and one rivals deck and I just have to know those cards. I don't have to know what all came in X pack from two releases ago, if that works for my warband in a better way than like it's it's a cleaner way to keep things competitive because it, uh, and I think I think something else that's really important too. It allows cards to be built together, yeah, in a in a functional card set um from the rivals decks perspective. Right. There's if something that is in that rivals deck works with the warband that you like to play anyway, it's going to supplement the way you like to play. Um, That's a really good point. 
so it allows those it allows those people who are who are interested in playing this game competitively to still do that and still have the cognitive space to do the other big games that they like to play too. Yeah. Which is That's where I fell into. Great point. Yep. Great, great point. Could you imagine hunger not spread over a whole season or two seasons? Right. Just a, like in a complete deck or um Yeah. Primacy. Um, that was like a primacy deck. Yeah. Primacy deck. Right. Exactly. 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 Or like yeah. Hunter Hunter Quarry that's like condensed and not just added as mm-hmm. a keyword. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and we see that like with the the mechanics that were added in the Tooth and Claw deck and the um, Daring Delvers. Um, and so. Yeah. Uh, da 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 da. Segue. In our <laughs> next episode, uh, that's where we're gonna dig into the two new war bands, their fighters, their cards. Uh, and the two rivals decks and those cards. Um, and, and we will, going forward, be rating things more on the rivals, uh, well, more on the nemesis scale. We'll still talk about things from a rival's perspective, but um, I think the nemesis uh, format is probably the best of both worlds when it comes to ease of entry and competitive play. And that's probably where we as a gaming community are going to live. Um, and and we can see that being a really attractive format for the rest of the Underworlds community as well, especially when it comes to growing the game and growing players competitively without going off the rails. Um, and so with that, Jason alluded to this, or he mentioned it flat out. Um, we're we're going to build a library, um, and it, and it will be released soon. Um, that has all 44 warbands, 46 warbands. Uh, with a nemesis deck so all of the in faction cards um, and then a supplemental rivals deck um, to build a complete 32 card deck and these are meant to be like kicking off points so like we're not going to say that we're the yotharis guardian experts and this is the best yotharis <laughs> guardian deck that you can build i'm just going to mention them every time that i can just so that people remember who they are because they will <laughs> never be played again um but they're some of the best models that they've released uh, I, I think they may be my favorite underworlds models but um but but it's meant to be a kicking off point and and we're gonna the the hope is to be able to host it in an easily consumable format so i'm kind of playing around with building like a shiny new subdomain like it might be nemesis.battle-mallet.com it may be www.battle-mallet.com i don't know yet um but <laughs> hopefully we'll have that figured out by the next episode if not we'll figure out how to get it pointed there but we want it to be well organized easily consumable and ideally even a place with uh like where you can make comments um so that you can uh, you provide feedback and and we'll try to We'll not try. We will. We'll be keeping it updated. So as new Rivals decks come out, we will go back through what we've built and we'll say, does this Rivals deck fit Steelheart's Champions better than the one that we picked before? And we'll do it also for new Warbands that get released. So Maybe down the road, if we feel like we have time, um, we could just go Warband by Warband and build some kind of kicking off point if you want to do x rivals deck plus this warband there's a bevy of five that you can pick from yeah choose your choose your skittle flavor run with it yeah we yeah this is very subjective in that we have picked what we think is probably the best fit rivals deck for the warband and the way that the in faction cards want to play 
Um, but yeah, that's yeah, that would be awesome, Traces, if we could get yep. some sort and of kicking off point for every Rivals deck for every Warband. Yeah, so. yeah. So uh, Nemesis, de- so every Nemesis possibility. Yeah. Permutation. Yeah. With whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I, and you know the other thought is too is like a start starting buy point, right? Yeah. So I want to play whatever Spike Claw Swarm. We think that the like this deck and this deck go well together to just get you started um, so you have something to play. Uh, and then as far as the catalog and the community feedback, you know, going forward, once we get everything lined up and rolled out, we we do want to hear from you and, like, what are your best Rivals decks with Nemesis format? And, you know, we, you know, if something comes up and it's much more efficient, we will definitely update that starting off point. Uh, and you know probably talk about it here and then in our discord is really what i'm trying i'm trying to get the forum set up we're just not quite there yet to have that function in our discord where you can set up the forum so everyone can chat about the nemesis decks um and as a resource so a lot of things to come we're really really diving into nemesis um and looking forward to it so thank you guys for again 46 warbands with starter decks holy guacamole i know it was it it was a fun exercise (laughs) it really was um yeah so so, uh yeah i think that's it so you know with that we are the battle metal podcast we are three dads that love to stay awake by picking our nails true we do we do (laughs) this is jared signing out this is trey signing out and i'm jason table new murray get the hell out of here peace go bills Battle Mallet Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons license. If you have further questions as to its use, you can find more information via links on podcast.battle-mallet.com. Music by Anno Domini Beats. like 90% there.